Is her approach consistent with what you've seen, the evolution and thinking of the DOJ? And by having those guidelines, does that help bring certainty to our clients, the people who really have those questions? Yeah, I think to your point, Tom, it, it certainly doesn't reflect any sort of sea change, especially with regard to the FCPA world. Because of a Halliburton opinion, 0802, I was actually on the drafting team for that when I was back at DOJ. So obviously what the Deputy Attorney General announced really resonated with me. That was Billy Jacobson. This is Tom Fox. In this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report, I have a wide-ranging visit with Billy, who's recently founded a new firm, Jacobson Lopez. We talk about his new firm, his practice, where he sees his firm's practice going, and take a deep dive into the recent M&A policy announced by Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today, I'm thrilled to have with me Billy Jacobson. I've had Billy from time to time over the years. We've been friends and colleagues for a long time. But earlier this year, he had some pretty big news that I've been wanting to visit with him about. So, Billy, for that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Billy, last uh, spring, I think, you had some pretty big news about starting your own firm. So could you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for the opportunity. So we actually started Jacobson Lopez on July 1st. So it's been about three months now. We are a boutique white collar law firm in Washington, D.C. There's eight lawyers uh, so far. And we're doing a bunch of compliance work. We're also doing internal investigations, government enforcement work, and the representation of individuals. And So far, so good. We're having a lot of fun. Our clients have all come with us, which is very rewarding and uh, enriching. And we've got a team of eight lawyers from the most junior to pretty senior, and we're rocking and rolling with it so far. I'm not familiar with your partners and some of your associates. Could you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. Uh, Jonathan Lopez, uh, the other name partner in the firm, is also a former DOJ person. He and I met at the fraud section of DOJ back in 2006 or 7. Jonathan's done a bunch of different things at DOJ, including as a fraud section attorney, he tried some of the Enron cases. He did a bunch of FCPA work, including a the Thai Film Festival trial in the FCPA world on the DOJ side. And then he moved over to the what is now called MLARS, the asset forfeiture money laundering section within the criminal division. And he was the deputy in charge of the money AMF BSA practice for MLARS. So he's got that specialty as well as being a general white collar practitioner and the FCPA expertise. What's what's it? I have some sense of what it's like because I made that move that you made many years ago in my career, but what was it like for you moving from really a large firm down to a, a smaller boutique firm as you've described it? Yeah, it's still in progress. So I'll tell you more completely in, a, in another year or two or five or 10. But so far, it feels great. It's something that Jonathan and I have thought about doing for a long time. And to basically just provide an alternative to big law for clients that are looking for something. Big law firm rates are obviously what they are. They're not for every client and they're not for every project, right? I think they are very well suited to certain clients and certain projects for sure. 
but not everything. And so our goal is to provide big law firm expertise and experience, of course, along with the government and in-house experience that we have. But it, so we're slightly more modest rates. We've got more flexibility with rates. We've got no conflict issues to speak of. And so we've got, we have the ability maybe to be a little more agile, a little more flexible for the right projects. The work, you detail some of the work you guys are doing generally, and you mentioned compliance. Are you now able to do, or are you doing sort of proactive compliance work? Yeah, we do a lot of it. Our current matters, for example, we're representing two companies who have compliance reporting obligations to the DOJ and the SEC as a result of settlements they entered into. We're doing a very large multi-year ABAC compliance assessment for a company in the extractives industry who is just beginning a particular project and we're being brought in to oversee their internal compliance of that project. We're helping various companies dust off their perhaps old and antiquated ethics and compliance policies and procedures, including, of course, ABAC, but also including sanctions and other things, and making sure that those policies and procedures are fit for their current purpose, fit for the business that they're currently doing. So lots of proactive, what I like to call chunky compliance work. In addition to the more day-to-day counseling about third-party agents, M&A acquisition diligence, which is not really day-to-day, a little more chunky than that, and fielding the phone calls from clients about, hey, can our folks accept this gift, give this gift, those sorts of things. So we're really doing it all in the compliance space. Are you seeing, or uh, maybe going back to before you guys founded the firm, were you seeing an uptick in economic sanctions or trade sanctions based upon uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and now the uh, potential conflict with China? Yeah, it's definitely become a more complicated sanctions landscape. And what we've done, we do not yet in our firm, at least yet, have sanctions experts in the firm. So what we've done is we've partnered with a group that you may be familiar with, Tom, which is Amalie, A-M-A-L-I-E, trade consultants founded by Ellen Smith, who well known you know Ellen well, right? Yeah. <laughs> sure. So Ellen is a former colleague from when I was in-house at Weatherford, and she has become an entrepreneurial dynamo. So founded Amelie, trade compliance experts, sanctions experts. And so we're teaming with them so they can provide the sanctions expertise and the other trade compliance expertise under the rubric of our attorney-client privilege. And then we'll provide legal advice to our clients teaming up with Amelie. We've done it already, even though it's only been three months, we've already teamed up on a few different projects and it's been great. Ellen Smith, part of the original Billy Jenkinson dream team. So great for you guys to get back together. And it's actually a great example of, of really partnering with someone that you know, or is, at least has, is well-known within the industry as a subject matter expert, uh, went out on their own doing something different. Yet when you can utilize them, you bring them together in some sort of venture that's under the rubric, as you suggested, of attorney-client privilege. So kudos on that. And uh, I've you. had the chance to visit with Ellen a couple of times about Emily. So really thrilled for her as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's great. Let me ask you about the recent announcement from Deputy Attorney General Monaco, indeed, last week on the safe harbor for M&A. When I first heard that, I thought, this is really not a big deal. Safe harbor's been around for a while. Then I took it a little bit deeper dive, and she put some specific guardrails in place. Six months after closing to report to the DOJ, one year after closing, we'd had various deadlines going back as far as 
0802 opinion release, a Halliburton opinion release. First of all, is her approach consistent with what you've seen, the evolution and thinking of the DOJ? And by having those guidelines, does that help bring certainty to our clients, the people who really have those questions? Yeah, I think to your point, Tom, it, it certainly doesn't reflect any sort of sea change, especially with regard to the FCPA world. Because of a Halliburton opinion, 0802, I was actually on the drafting team for that when I was back at DOJ. So obviously what the deputy attorney general announced really resonated with me. The guardrails she put up are very similar to the guardrails put in place by 0802, suggesting that if stuff is found during diligence or within a reasonable time following the acquisition, post-acquisition diligence, there would not be any enforcement action. So it's good. It brings more certainty to that principle. It also has wider applicability than just the FCPA. And so that is good, right? It, it, it always, it, I think, is great when DOJ can take some of these principles that are established under the FCPA framework and apply them, applies them more broadly. And that kind of consistency across the department is important, I think. So yeah, it all gives companies a bit more certainty. There's something that they can really point to that's more binding than the advisory opinion, the 0802, which specifically says that it's not binding on future cases, right? All of the advisory opinions have that disclaimer. So this obviously pronouncement, this pronouncement obviously goes beyond that and provides more certainty. So I think it's great. I also think that it doesn't, is not not a sea change. And thirdly, I still look with a very raised eyebrow on the notion of disclosure and voluntary disclosure, even with these guardrails, right? And, and obviously, the DOJ is doing a lot of work to try to get companies to come forward more and more in many different contexts. I still am uh, somewhat skeptical that it's the right thing for companies in most circumstances because they're still buying an investigation of some sort. In some circumstances, yes, but in most circumstances, my view would be no no reason to disclose unless there really is some imminent uh, threat that the disclosure is going to happen anyway. The uh, six-month first guardrail, we've both worked in the corporate world and at least at Halliburton, six months was basically the blink of a lot, blink of an eye in the life of a corporation. It was mm-hmm. said you couldn't move offices within six months. And I wondered if that and her thoughts around pre-acquisition due diligence would give people like us at least an argument we could make to companies that compliance needs to be a part of your pre-acquisition team as well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. And we've been making that argument for quite some time. This definitely gives a little more oomph to that argument because the post-acquisition period of six months is the blink of an eye. The problem is, and this is the problem with this whole area, the problem is the pre-acquisition diligence context and, and time period is always super abbreviated as well. And there's always, nothing's happening fast enough. The, there, there's never enough time to do everything you want to do. And so almost naturally, you're left with doing things post-acquisition. And then what the deputy attorney general is saying is you better do it really quickly, as had been the guidance from Halliburton beforehand, the 0802 opinion. Let's turn back to the firm for a few minutes. Do you have any directions you hope to go, or are you just going to organically grow based upon need? 
Yeah, no, we've got to be fiscally responsible. So we'll organically grow based on needs. But we definitely want to continue the practice that we've had at the bigger law firms with these chunky compliance assignments and the other sorts of work that we think we can do internal investigations. Maybe we're not doing the seven country, 100 lawyer Siemens type scope of internal investigation for a company, given that we've got eight lawyers. But we can certainly are well equipped to handle more modest internal investigations, even of pretty severe issues. And these days, there's so many opportunities to partner with contract attorney firms and other experts, consultants of all the of many stripes that we feel like we can handle these bigger matters without having everyone housed within our firm directly. We've also I haven't talked about some of the other lawyers, which goes to your question a little bit. Our other partner is uh, a younger uh, lawyer named Ernesto Alvarado, who's got lots of in-house compliance experience. He, he was seconded to one of the world's biggest mining companies, one of the world's biggest aerospace companies, one of the world's biggest oil and gas companies in his career. He speaks uh, Spanish, French, Italian, and Portuguese, so super talented young lawyer. We're really happy to have him as a partner. We also have counsel with two counsel with significant experience in the field. One was a federal, John Griffith was a federal prosecutor for 20 plus years, both at the fraud section and at the DC U.S. Attorney's Office. He was with me at Weatherford as well. So lots of in-house experience too. So with this vast amount of experience in just a few people and our ability to partner both with our own staff and other staff, we think we're really able to handle matters that maybe go a bit above our size, maybe punching above our weight a little bit. Billy, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, if our listeners wanted any more information on the new law firm, what would be the best place for them to go? We have a brand new website, actually, called it's jacobsonlopez.com. So it should be easily found. And we'd love to hear from folks. Billy, thanks so much. And perhaps I can check back in with you in six or 12 months to see how the firm is doing. Yeah, I'd love that, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. I'd like to tell you about two great new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network, Adventures in Compliance, where I look at the intersection of Sherlock Holmes, leadership, compliance, and business ethics. I'm doing all of the Sherlock Holmes stories as well as the novels. Another is report from ECI 2023, where I interviewed speakers, guests, and participants at ECI 2023. I know you'll enjoy both of these new podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.